everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of the Full Circle Podcast. Our theme this season is love, and love can be tricky. All of the poems, novels, movies, and songs reflect and explore what love means. We hear about love all the time in our everyday lives. So why is it that most of us struggle to find it? Today's dating is a challenge for sure. Connecting online or in person if you're lucky. Going on dates and feeling something real and genuine seems nearly impossible. But with a little help, finding the love you desire and crave is possible. It's available to us all. And today I'm connecting you with that little help. My guest, Abby Blairs, began her career in 2016 as a matchmaker and online dating specialist. Over the years, she transitioned her practice into coaching, a decision that has helped her lead clients to a successful dating process. Abby is incredible at helping people find love. She's one of the UK's only based dating coaches certified with the Matchmaking Institute. She combines science and research-based strategies to help her single clients make better dating decisions. Her goal is to help people who wish to move forward from toxic relationships, build their confidence, unlock their dating blind spots, and become more resilient and cultivate self-belief, a goal I stand behind 100%. Today, Abby is here to share her tips and tricks that will help you find confidence, discover where you're going wrong, and find your way to dating success. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So welcome, Abby, to the show. It's lovely to have you here on the Full Circle Finding Your Way Home podcast. Today, we are talking about finding true love. So I thought what might be quite useful just to get the conversation going is to tell us a little bit more about yourself and what do you currently do? Okay, so I'm a London-based matchmaker and dating coach. So I help London-based busy professionals hopefully get into long-term monogamous relationships. So I work with about 20 to 25 clients at any one time with a matchmaking company. And we're trying to get them into that everlasting love state. Amazing. So how long have you been doing this? I've been matchmaking now for five years and then I started to coach after about three years in because I started to think there's more we can be doing with our clients. There's more that's holding people back. We can't just match people together and expect it to work if someone needs to do a little bit of work on themselves. So we offer that as well as the matchmaking. Amazing. So what kind of led you to doing this work in the first instance? How did you come to be a matchmaker? Well, Basically, what happened was I was trying to be an actress for about 10 years. I got to the point where I was like, this isn't working. And I started to think about like, if I was successful to the way that I was thinking of success, would I actually enjoy being an actress? And I couldn't visualize it. And I thought, I'm holding on to something that I don't think I actually want anymore. And it's really hard to like, let go. And I was like, okay, so... I was working as a massage therapist at the time to fund the fact that acting wasn't going so well. And I was like, what else can I do? And I'd say I spent like several years like thinking like, oh, well, do I want to be a veterinary nurse? Do I want to be a police officer? Do I wanted to kind of like help people or be helpful in some way, but I didn't know what it was. And there was nothing that was like truly 
exciting me. But I've always been kind of interested in people and romance and my own love life. And <laughs> I was watching First Dates with my partner and he said to me, oh, it's really interesting how they match the couples together, isn't it? He's like, it's quite clever, actually. And I was like, oh, my goodness, is that a job? Is that a job? Is this something that I could do? And it was like the first time I'd felt like actually excited about another career option. So I did what you do and you don't know the answer. I went onto Google <laughs> and <laughs> looked up, you know, matchmaking. Is it a job? It's like, yes, it's a job. Brilliant. And I just approached a couple of matchmakers and offered to do internships. And that's where it started. So I started as an intern. That was about actually maybe six years ago, five, six years Amazing. And so so tell me then a little bit more about your role then. What is it that you, talk me through what you actually do. So when a client might come and say, hey, I need some help. I'm looking for my perfect match. What What's the process? Okay. So my role within the matchmaking company that I work with, there are two roles. There's one as a headhunter. So I'm the person that goes out and gets people to go on dates with our clients so they're not necessarily our clients but I'm the person that goes out and looks for the people vets the people meets the people and then sends them on the dates with the clients or offers them up as options to my colleague Kate who founded Little Black Book which is the company that I work for um so basically what happens is she works with the clients and I help her so I'm like an assistant and the second part of my job is to coach and consult with the clients so some of the clients will have what you probably know as pure coaching but most of the clients have consultancy so it's like dating advice and tips and some of them don't have that at all they just go for the matchmaking so what happens is people come to us they tell us their criteria we discuss that and whether that's realistic and then we will guarantee them a minimum of six matches over six months now whether they fall in love or not within that time is a little bit on them and a little bit on us to match well. So how do I mean, obviously, I noticed that you combine science and the art of that kind of matching process. So how do you go about getting so headhunting, I suppose, those those people that might be a suitable match for one of your clients? So I did a course in um, science-based coaching with a lady who's been studying marriages for the last 35 years. So she gave me a lot of tools and a lot of information about what would make a good match. So when we're matching people, we're looking at what the client says they want. And because, you know, we have to listen to them (laughs) to a degree, Mm -hmm. but also what actually works according to research. So what we'll do is we'll be looking at value sets. We'll be looking, you know, alignment across values. And we'll also be trying not to match people together who are wildly different or people together who attach differently romantically. So some people are like anxious and like like want a lot of closeness in relationships and other people are perhaps a little bit more avoidant of that and we don't want to match those two people together so we're looking at several different things you know I'm on my second marriage now and you know when I started well I wasn't actually looking to fall in love again after after my uh, first divorce and everything I was kind of quite open and I wasn't really kind of in any major search but I had lots of friends at the time that you know were struggling to find the right partner and I would imagine that as 
social media takes over and become more kind of involved in, in, in our kind of lives on our phone and everything, that, that traditional sense of dating might not necessarily be as readily available. Is that, I don't know whether I'm making an assumption there, but I'm just, I'm just wondering in terms of how easy is it now to find a partner in today's world that we live in? I think there are more possibilities and more options than there ever have been for dating. In the past, it would be someone in the local village, it would be someone that you got introduced to by friends, it would be someone that you met in the workplace. Whereas now, we have all of those things still, they still exist, but on top of that, we have social media. Sometimes people might slide into your DMs on Instagram, and you might meet someone that way. You might go onto an app. And that's okay, and you can use it really well, but there is a little bit of a problem with too much choice and sometimes we can get confused when we feel like there's so many different options. It's then more difficult for us to actually make a decision because there's a little bit of a sometimes that's going, oh, but there are other people out there. It's so easy to just go onto Tinder and match with somebody new. So I think there are problems with the way it is now, but there are also great benefits too. Yeah, absolutely. And so I suppose that is a challenge, isn't it? Because, you know, I suppose if you can just, what was it? I mean, I don't know. I've not been on Tinder. It shows, shows my age most probably, but also this sense of swiping left or swiping right, whatever it is. But I think, you know, obviously, I suppose when you've got that so readily available, but I, I'm imagining from the work that you do that your clients are looking for something different, something a bit more long term. Yeah. Uh, with the view to to settle down more permanently with somebody. Is is that right? Yeah, that is right. And one of the benefits to using a matchmaker is that you know that everyone that you get matched to has at least said (laughs) that they're looking for a long-term relationship. And they've agreed to that as part of the process. Like They know what they're signing up for. When you go on to, I mean, Tinder's probably not the best option, but say if you go on to Hinge, Hinge is a dating app that you could use for like many different purposes and it's difficult to know the purpose and the intent of all the different people that you're coming across. Like some people might be looking for something more casual and you then have to like filter through all these people who might not be looking for the same thing as you. When you work with a matchmaker, you're go- probably going to go on less dates, but at least when you do go on a date, you know that there's like a reason to it and that the person has the same intention as you, which is to get into the relationship and hopefully stay in it. So the types of clients, obviously not to break confidentiality, but the types mm. of clients that come to you. So yeah, who would come, I suppose, to to somebody like yourself as an expert to help them? What kind of people would come? So I'd say there are there's a slight difference between the people that come to me directly for coaching, because I do coaching separately from matchmaking. Mm. Slight difference between those people and the people that come to matchmakers, but from, we'll, we'll stick with matchmaking, I guess, because it's easier to stick with one. Um, most of the time for matchmaking, it's women, not always, but it's women who are very successful in their careers, very busy people, and they've reached a point where they're, all their friends around them have settled down. And for whatever reason, it's not because they're socially inept or struggling to hold down a conversation, which you might, sometimes you might make that assumption when you think what person goes to a matchmaker, but it's people who haven't prioritized it yet. And then have reached a point where they want to prioritize it, but they perhaps don't have tons of spare time to be swiping. That makes sense. And in terms of then that process, when they do arrive, 
you know, I would imagine that the different, um, everybody wants something a bit different. Everybody's looking for something different. So how do you, how do you support them through that process? Oh, good question. <laughs> That's a hard question. <laughs> so everyone is looking for something vaguely different, but we are, we want people to have only like three deal breakers. So we're looking at what they come with and then we're going to unpick like what's truly important and the reason behind what makes that thing important to them because the more we can understand what's motivating that decision the better we can be either maybe redirecting them to, to a different route or um going along with that and making the right matches brilliant thank you for sharing that so in terms of then you said that obviously this is kind of more the traditional kind of matchmaking route but you obviously incorporate coaching also into supporting your clients so what's the difference in terms of what you're offering them then when you're coaching them around okay so finding love Mm -hmm. so if someone comes to so if someone comes to a matchmaker i would say that they're looking for generally this is just general somebody to do the work for them when someone comes yeah. to a coach, they perhaps reach more are more likely to have reached the point where they go, hmm, I'm doing something that maybe I could change. Maybe I need to do a bit of work. I want to actually make a long-lasting change. So they want to do the work themselves. So when I work with somebody and just either coach or consult, it's on them to go out and get their own matches. And when matchmaking, right. okay. I even say to matchmaking clients, like, if you like it's good to hire a matchmaker they're going to do the work but if you also can do the work too you're much more likely to get into a relationship if you're also staying active you know making changes in your life becoming the best person that you can be that's going to increase your odds yeah absolutely because it's interesting because obviously you know I, I I do coaching as well and and I'm obviously I'm certainly not a matchmaker and this is not my level of expertise but when people are looking to find relationships one of the things that I tend to focus on when I'm supporting my clients around this mm-hmm. is more about themselves mm-hmm. because I find sometimes that you know you need to work on yourself in terms of understanding your needs understanding what you might need to do how you might want to approach this and build that so for me I suppose some people come along where they kind of maybe got a bit of a crisis of confidence they don't necessarily have the self-belief or they have a lot of self-doubt around themselves so lacking in that confidence and for me that's one of the key things that I think has to be worked on first I don't know from your experience would you agree with that no I would agree with that because you could that's the problem when you consult. Like I'm not, even though I do consult with people, it's mostly because that's what they say that they want. And then I probably steer into coaching as we go along because yeah. when someone gives you advice, you can go out and do all the tips and the tricks and, you know, ask those sorts of questions on the day to try this thing out. And maybe that will help with confidence a little bit, like knowing that you've got a couple of tools. But if you don't think you're worthy of love, that's going to come out, isn't it? Yeah, Whereas it is. you don't need tips, tricks and advice and things if you know inside that you're worthy because you will be behave very, you'll be behaving in a much more attractive manner as a result of that inner confidence. And that's the hard thing. It's, it's hard to, to get that change. That's a long, that's a process. And do you find that that's a common trait with some of your clients and, and maybe those that you've worked with in the past that maybe they don't feel worthy of love? I have had clients like that and I and I attract for coaching more people like that but for matchmaking I'd say that I don't want to like say that all matchmaking clients are like this because they're really really not but sometimes we all get clients who think that the issue is other people 
and they're quite confident in themselves but they're looking for perhaps somebody who's perfect and obviously perfect doesn't actually exist so that can be problematic yeah that makes sense yeah so thinking about some of your kind of tools and tips that you've gained through learning how to become a matchmaker but also a coach as well what are the kind of the key things that kind of well I suppose have you got any key tips really that you know you could share with our audience around how you might have a successful first date as an example so first dates I would say prep prep your first date and when I say prep I mean do everything that you can to be the best that you can be in the lineup to the date. We can only control so much of what happens on a date, but we can make sure that we've made an effort with our appearance. We can make sure that we've had a good, you know, chat with ourselves beforehand in a positive way, you know, thinking about all the, the qualities that we do have. And then from there, it's like, enjoy it and choose a date that you actually want to go on. Because sometimes people go on to dates and it's like they're just doing like countless, endless coffee dates. And they're like, this is not enjoyable for me. It's like, well, what do you want to do? What? How can you make it more fun for yourself? What are the kind of the pitfalls or the blind spots <laughs> that people need to watch out for? Because <laughs> you're laughing there. <laughs> I take it there's a number. <laughs> there's a few of them. What do you mean? Like the, the, the red flags that people might have or yeah, maybe, things that hold well, themselves back? <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe let's start with red flags and then we can go to what might hold people back. So what are the red flags that we need to kind of be looking out for? Okay, so let me have a think. Red flags. So when you're messaging someone early on, if they are inconsistent, not really messaging back and you're not really sure where where it's going and you feel like they're a bit flaky, they're not necessarily locking Mm -hmm. down a day, my recommendation is to just move away from people like that because you know if someone's actually keen. And if someone says, you know, oh, vaguely, oh, we should meet up sometime. It's at that point where you're like, okay, yeah, I'm free at this time next week. Does that work for you? Whereas a lot of the time people get stuck in this zone of, oh, yeah, we'll meet up. And then you just keep chatting and then you're endlessly chatting with somebody. And then you've Mm -hmm. got this pen pal character that is just, you know, you're not, it's not actually going anywhere. Yeah. Um, Another thing would be (laughs) if just someone's like gently putting you down or like making like sarcastic jokes that are banter that can be a sign of something a little bit darker with that person and if someone's not making you feel great when you're talking to them if it feels off and I think a lot of the time we can get blinded by oh my goodness this person's really attractive and this is the first person I've been matched to where I'm like, oh, I'm actually attracted to the photograph. And then we overemphasize that. And mm. it can be a bit of a red flag if you're if they're not making you feel great, but they're just really good looking. It's like stop, stopping yourself and not overvaluing people based on purely just what they look like rather than how they're behaving and showing up for you. Well, it's interesting because I, I would imagine, especially for, again, this is an assumption, but I would imagine if you've been single for quite a long time and you, you really are kind of quite keen to to get into a relationship, then you might actually ignore those red flags and think, actually, I'm just going to pursue this, but actually then not turn out in the way that you would like it to be. But also be in a relationship that actually is most probably not going to be the, the, the right one for you. Mm, absolutely. And I think... You have to be picky about how a person makes you feel. I feel mm. like that's the one of the most important things. Yeah. And also understand that there are other people out there and remind yourself of that. It might feel like 
this is the first person for X amount of time, but it doesn't necessarily work that you just get one person every six months. You might get three great people immediately after this other person. It's like operating from that scarcity mindset can be quite damaging. There are people everywhere. We just don't always see them. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels for me what you're saying then is really most probably around listening more to your intuition. And as you said, if somebody doesn't make you feel good in their initial conversations with you over text messages or whatever it is, then really pay attention to that and don't ignore those signals that have been presented. And and I like what you've just shared there as well, that actually, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm a firm believer that there is there is somebody for everyone. And I think um, that scarce, you know, that kind of scarcity mindset or all or nothing, I've got to do this, it's got to be the right one. Um, This is the one versus actually let's look around Mm -hmm. and let's see what else is out there. Um, I think can also kind of, it's kind of tunneled vision in many ways, isn't it? And and can actually stop you then from meeting or exploring other avenues perhaps. Yeah, definitely. If you're dating somebody who's not making you, isn't quite right, you're not feeling great with it, but you're really like attached to that person, you're that person's wasting your time in a way because there are other people out there yeah and I think that's quite an important message to remind us all isn't it that that actually yeah you don't have to settle you can still this there's lots of window shopping these are my (laughs) words but there's lots of window shopping right that you can do before you might find the right person and it's it's that kind of added old statement isn't it that you know you might need to kiss a few frogs uh, (laughs) before you find your your prince or your princess you know whatever it is that the person that you're looking for those are really good tips from a red flag perspective but what about other things that people like you said you know you talked there before around reminding people just to make sure that they're in the right zone they've got the right mindset Mm -hmm. they're geared up with in terms of how they want to present themselves what other things or advice are important to remind people of in terms of any pitfalls or or blind spots I suppose okay so there are certain things that people do that probably isn't helpful it making it's making like quick judgments on people so when you're and it could work in either way so it, there's that whole thing of someone's really attractive so we put all our eggs into that basket or someone's not really our type so we swipe past them that is probably one of the main mistakes that people make is that they pace things too quickly and make very fast judgments. And we all do it. It's automatic, but it's learning to slow that down and give people an opportunity who and try and mix up the type of person that you're dating. Some people date like almost the same person each time and expect a different result. It's like if you've been dating the same type of person for your whole life, consider experimenting with it and having fun with it. Mm. I think we take it, it's a serious thing, but sometimes we take it so seriously that we can never just go on on a date and have fun with it and just see it as an opportunity to meet somebody. And every person that you do meet is going to, it is potentially going to know somebody else that's suitable. So even if you're not attracted to this person, if you actually get on, there might be a good connection to have because you just don't know like who else they know, like where this could mm-hmm. lead. You might not end up being in a relationship with them. And yeah, you're not looking for a friend, but you don't know what potential avenues yeah. they might be able to lead you down. So what do you think makes 
people want to do that all eggs in one basket what you know obviously you've been working mm-hmm. in the industry like you said since 2016 so what makes or what drives a person from a more of a, an emotional or psychological perspective and I'm just mm-hmm. asking for your opinion nothing else yeah. but from what, what you've experienced you know what kind of makes people want to just jump in and, and actually not experiment or play around or or look at it from a more playful perspective and perhaps a kind of really quite serious about it mm. well I expect there are lots of different reasons and motivations but one of the things that does come up a bit is if you're what you might call an anxious you have an anxious attachment style you from a young age have been very like wanting to get close to people and so when you do get close to somebody you find it really difficult to let them go and also on top of that when you're physically attracted to somebody our bodies are releasing hormones and neurotransmitters that make us home in on that particular person and then you can't see even see their faults anymore and it's like your own body (laughs) tricking you into becoming almost obsessed like there was research Mm. conducted I think it was Helen Fisher, and they found that when you're in love, the same areas of your brain light up as when you take cocaine. So it's really addictive. And then you've got all this like dopamine rush that you get from this person. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably know more about this than me. When you, when somebody intermittently gives you rewards, that's more rewarding than when someone continuously is like it's just consistent whereas actually that consistent person who isn't you know all over the place like you one minute you're excited the next minute you're sad that consistent person is a healthier person to get into a relationship with but we can become become addicted to the other type and that's problematic (laughs) no absolutely and I can see that that can feed that need and that want and that that desire, I suppose, as, and that becomes then most probably quite habitual, I would imagine, um, yeah. as, as you go through that. And I suppose, as you said before, if you're going for the same person, like the serial same person each time that you keep going for and not, not maybe being open or receptive to trying anything new, then you're going to most probably get the same results, I would imagine, yeah. um, than, than getting anything different. So I'm really interested in the concept of love because... I'm a romantic, you know, I, I've watched all the chick flicks, um, I've read all the, the love novels and, and as a teenage girl, you know, I'd swoon over, you know, anything romantic and so forth. And I suppose I am a romantic deep down. What do you think drives us to need this romance in our lives and, and, and so forth? God, that's a really difficult question. That's a really good <laughs> question. Uh, what drives us? Well, I know that love is a need. It's one of our fundamental needs after like your food, your water, your shelter and all of that. But what actually drives, I mean, it's, I think it's hormones. (laughs) I swear. (laughs) It's like we're meant to mate, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's just like how we've been programmed since, you know, caveman days, probably before caveman days. We only ever really talk about caveman and upwards, don't we? It's like we're meant to mate, we're meant to procreate, we're meant to keep. And I think it's just that. And we're driven towards, for the rest of it, it's like we're driven to the psychologically. Sometimes people will be driven towards people who, like, they say, don't they, that you're attracted <laughs> to people that are like your dad or like somebody in your life that, that's been maybe there for you or... I suppose it just gives us that sense of comfort. And I think you're right, that kind of whole sense of belonging as well and connection. I think as humans, we need we need that deep connection. We need more than just a, a fleeting you know, kind of moment too. I think we definitely need definitely something much more long term. 
I'm just thinking about my, you know, myself as well. I mean, I didn't have a problem with being single, but actually it is really nice to be in a relationship and to, to have somebody that, you know, if you're having a bad day, you can cuddle up to and you can tell them all your woes and all that kind of thing and they can tell you everything's going to be all right and, and so forth. So I suppose as, as, as a human, as you said, human nature, it's that we we do want that connection and that sense of belonging to something as well as that need as, as a human to procreate and do everything else with it, <laughs> as you would imagine. But in terms of love, I think love is quite important and I think there's two things, isn't there? Because I know we're talking about finding love with somebody else, but there's also this sense of and I think this is the work that you're doing on a coaching side as well. Tell me if I'm wrong, but this sense of helping people learn to love themselves. Mm-hmm. Because I think for me to be in a relationship, when I look back at my relationships over my years, coming into, you know, I've not had many, um, but I've had a few. But I think there's this sense of that if you don't actually love yourself first, it's very difficult for you then to allow somebody else to love you. Yeah, I agree with that to a point. But I also think that the right person can help you as well not not in like a codependent Mm -hmm. way but if somebody is consistently if you haven't had someone who's consistently there for you it's probably going to be much more challenging for you to love yourself because you perhaps are thinking well no one's really loved me like ever I have no evidence of this but being open to you know putting yourself out there a little bit and being going towards the people who are consistent I think that that can help you to love yourself. So I don't think people should wait until, until they, love they love themselves, themselves first. They yeah. But, I, but yeah. it is a component. And if you love yourself, definitely a benefit, a huge benefit. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's really good. That's a really good um, kind of concept. And I kind of like that. I kind of uh, most probably do deep down agree with that as well in terms of what you've said. So thinking about then... We've talked about the first date, right? So we talked about when somebody goes on a first date and some of the the red flags and some of the pitfalls and the blind spots. So when you're then helping your clients then move into that next stage, because there's always that, I remember myself going on dates thinking, will they ring me? Should I ring them? What do I do? How do we do it? You know, and and you've got those kind of that endless bottomless pit in your (laughs) stomach of butterflies and feeling anxious and sick and all of that kind of thing. So again, what advice have you got for people around that stage? Because that can be quite stressful. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of anxiety. It does. I actually think, I, I mean, my recommendation, which is a bit, if you are in that zone, is to remember that there are other people out there and to not just cut all other people off. A lot of the time, when someone is quite, you know, you if you're monogamous, a monogamous person, you might quite quickly be like, well, I don't want to mess this up by dating other people. And I'm not saying that that's definitely going to work for everyone, but it can be helpful to have other people around that you're still communicating with. You're not leading those people on because we don't know where this is going yet. It's also good to remember that whilst you're worrying about what they're doing, they might also be worrying about what you're doing. Like they could lose you. Mm. You sometimes focus on, oh, I'm going to lose them. I'm going to lose them. And you forget that, you know, they might be thinking, oh, I'm going to lose this person. And if they're not bothered, is that your person? If someone just moves on, it's not, I don't think it's your person. Mm. And it's knowing within yourself that there are other people, we can get there again, they're not running out, we just keep going. It's like bouncing back yeah. from that perceived rejection. Yeah, because I think it's interesting, the perceived rejection, actually, because I think we can easily jump to that place really quickly and make so many assumptions about what somebody might be thinking or doing or feeling, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then that leaves us in not a particularly good position. And so that's really good, useful advice to think about, well, yes, remember, 
again, um, that there are options. And 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 actually, you don't really know because we don't know what somebody else is thinking or feeling. We only know what we're thinking and feeling. Mm-hmm. And I suppose for me, because I mean, I'm I'm taking this right back to because you know I was dating in the '90s and stuff, which is many many years ago. Very different now to how dating was. But that sense of game playing as well, and I think that can be quite. I don't know whether your clients still experience. I'm sure we still do experience some of that in dating today. But you know, when people you, you feel like you kind of caught up in a game that you don't necessarily know the rules to. Yeah. And again, that feels like that's most probably quite a, a toxic type of relationship to, to, to be involved in. But sometimes, again, because you like the person, you kind of want to hang on and see where mm. it's going to take you. But again, is that the same advice as that you've given is perhaps start to look at other alternatives and, and don't necessarily put all your eggs in one basket? Yeah, and I feel a little bit like... <laughs> The dating industry and people, not people, I don't mean all people in the dating industry, I want to be careful with what I'm saying, but there's a lot of dating advice out there that encourages people to play games and like be careful of what advice you, where you get your advice from. Because mm. the, I mean, I've read books that have said like women never approach, don't ever approach a man or, or even like make eye contact with a man if you're a woman, because that's too much and mm. don't text him back. Don't text him first ever. You know, these really hard rules. I suppose that's quite maybe old fashioned in many ways, because I think, you know, when I'm thinking about when I grew up, you know, that was most probably a bit of the advice that you would get. You wouldn't, you know, you'd be the person who would wait, sitting for the, you know, waiting for the phone to ring or in them days, because we didn't have mobile phones in them days when I first started dating. You know, so it'd be kind of, you'd be sitting at the side of the phone thinking, oh, are they going to call me? Mm. You can't reach out. You can't tell them how you feel. You've got to wait until they tell you it's the same with kind of when you say I love you for the first time you know it's that sense of you know you're waiting anticipation for for the guy in my case um to say you know that they love you versus you love them first and and actually I think there's something that if we're all wanting to be equal does it really matter who says it first if that's how you feel if you like somebody why not tell them that you like them and if you love them why not tell them that you love them rather than holding back because for me sometimes I think it just feels like life's a bit too short yeah and if someone can't I mean it depends when you say it obviously if you say I love you on the first date that might be a bit scary yeah. <laughs> that's a red flag um, <laughs> inappropriate time scales yes <laughs> but if, if, you, if you reach the point where you've been together for six months and you feel he feels it and he he might be just as anxious as you are to say it and thinking oh you saying it first is not if he's the right person he's not going to go oh oh you love me I need to get out of this now and like if he does if he does get to that point it's like this person's probably not ready for this relationship and good that you've said it now because then you can actually move away from it rather than I'll just wait for three years he's still not said he loves me but I'm, I'm holding out I'm playing the game Gosh, what an interesting conversation. Really intrigued in terms of what we've talked about. And it's given me lots of food for thought. So think about what you've shared and, and with us in terms of your expertise, advice and guidance. What would you say the top, I don't know, top three tips or top four tips are for people who are embarking on trying to find love? <sighs> Do you? <laughs> three or four tips. Okay. Um, no one. Find what works for you, like what you can tolerate with dating and do it consistently. So it can be little, doesn't have to be huge. Second one, be open to going and getting advice from from other sources, but be aware of what to believe and where to take that advice from and be be sure that you're an individual and what works for one other person or even a hundred other people might not work for you. Third tip, 
be open to fall in love with someone that you're not expecting to fall in love with. And the last one, focus on more on how a person is behaving towards you and how that makes you feel and the side of you that that person is bringing out rather than on things like what job they have, how much money they earn, how tall they are, how on paper sexy they might look. Those are really good for brilliant tips. Thank you. Really good. I really like all of those. And I do like that. I I mean, you know, fall in love with somebody who you might not expect. Yeah. And I think that's just brilliant because actually from my own experience, I wasn't looking for love second time around and it came and hit me right there and, and you're not expecting it. So I think that sense of being open and receptive is really an important thing, isn't it? From what you've said yeah. throughout the whole conversation. Yeah. Lovely. So obviously you've learned a lot as well in terms of your journey that you've been on in terms of training to be a coach, be a matchmaker and doing the work that you do over these number, these last number of years that you've been doing it. So tell me, um, what have you learned about your journey so far? Well, for myself. Yeah, about yourself, yeah. That sometimes you're going to doubt the relationship that you're in and that that's okay as long as you're not continuously doubting it. I have a tendency, if I'm honest, to look for faults in people and forget the good qualities that a person has and then start to think, oh gosh, if, you know, become look to the future and then think what if it all goes wrong like but from from the perspective of what if he's not right for me and I've done that Mm. with every relationship that I've ever been with which has taught me that it's a very much a me thing rather than the person that I'm with so whenever I have any little doubt I a question is the doubt coming from something that he's doing or is it coming from something that I've just started to create to sabotage and always so thus far it's been something that I've created in my own mind to almost like create like a drama that's my tendency so I've learned to control that really helpful thank you for sharing that so finally then where can people get hold of you if they're looking for your services to support them either as a matchmaker or as a person who can maybe help them as a coach as well where can we get hold of you so if you are looking for matchmaking you can head on over to www.littleblackbooklondon.co.uk and if you're looking for coaching you can head on over to my website which is abbyblaze.com or you can just email me on abby at abbyblaze.com that's amazing Thank you, Abby, for such a rich conversation. I've really enjoyed chatting to you and thanks for all your insights and your top tips as well. Thank you for asking such fab questions. Thanks for tuning in. I'd love to take a moment and tell you about our wellness retreats that will be happening in May 2022 in Mallorca, Spain. My team and I have created four immersive retreats that allows you to take a step back from all the stresses and strains of your daily life in order to focus on your physical, mental, emotional and spiritual well-being. From coaching mastery, mindfulness and meditation, conscious living and so much more, we offer a nurturing and truly experiential life-enriching environment where you'll reconnect, rediscover and reaffirm who you are and what you want in your life. 
If you're interested in learning more, head to the fullcircleglobal.com website and click the Retreats tab. In the meantime, stay well, invite joy and curiosity into your life. See you soon. Thank you.